Thank you for joining IEB There. And now your host, Angelina Ng. Over to you, Angelina. Thank you, everyone. Today is July 1st. Oh my God, it's already summertime, uh, July. And July 4th is just a few days away. I'm Angelina Ng, your host. I am the VP of Measurement and Attribution here at the IAB and IAB Tech Lab. So we welcome you to our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. On today's show, our topic is uh, going to focus on uh, doing a deep dive into the future of adjustable targeting with our special guest, Megan Clarkin, CEO of Critio. Uh, let's bring in Megan. Welcome, Megan. Are you there? I'm here. How are you? Hi, great. So um, I know that uh, you you just came to Critio sometime in late November, uh, only a few months before uh, we all went into quarantine and all this happened. Why don't you, uh, how, how has it been uh, uh, the last few months, especially being relatively new? Oh, look, it's, um, it's been a blast, challenges and all, it's been a blast. Um, so I started at the end of November, I moved to Paris and uh, the job has been to um, transform the company uh, and uh, to execute against a strategy that would turn the company around. And uh, we were going gangbusters. And um, then all of a sudden COVID hit us. <laughs> well, Chrome hit us first, which we'll probably cover. But then COVID <laughs> hit us. And, uh, and everybody all of a sudden had to work from home. Which, you know, as a One leader. One issue after the other, right? <laughs> yeah. As a leader, you kind of, you know, yeah, you wrap them together, you flex another muscle and you make it work. Um, but uh, but it's, you know, it, it is working. Um, firstly, I'm back in New York, so I happen to find my way back here. Um, a long story, but I have an apartment in Paris, which I have no idea what's in the fridge and it's been empty now for about four months. Um, and uh, have been running the company remotely and... Uh, as everybody else has been doing their job remotely. And not surprisingly, I guess, for a, a young company that knows what they're doing and is um, really you know, focused on their work, they're, they're achieving great things. So it is what it is. And we plow our way through and we continue to be focused and execute against the strategy. So that's where we're at. Now, you were previously at Nielsen overseeing both uh, commercial and product. Um, and uh, how how how's the how what's the difference and what are uh, what are the biggest differences between the two companies and what made you decide to move over? Yeah, well, I was at Nielsen for fifteen years, so it um, you know you get to a point where it's time to explore something new. Um, uh, I was uh, head of product for a number of years. I architected their um, uh, cross-platform measurement called Total Audience. Uh, and then run ran the commercial business uh, as well. Um, it's a it is a measurement company. It's a very um, big measurement company that is has a hundred years of legacy. Um, it's also a company that, um, while it's a um, uh, it's not a not for profit, <laughs> it's a it's a business, and yet it uh, sits right in the middle of the ecosystem and has to make sure that it supplies um, a service to the ecosystem of which. You know, between uh, all of the the publishers and broadcasters that are out there, they have different ways in which they want to be represented by the numbers. And so, 
long story short, it's it's very political. The role is a very political role. It's a role in which you have to, you know, know the players and you have to try to address as many concerns as possible and then at the end of the day make uh, a decision. Uh, it's a currency, as you know, so you have to be very careful because hundreds of, um, you know, millions of dollars plus billions of dollars are being um, traded on the currency. So it's a very, it's a very serious uh, company. Critio is much, much smaller. Um, it is, uh, it's tech. And I started out of tech. I'm rusty these days in terms of tech, but moving back to tech has been, um, uh, has been uh, really, really interesting uh, and something that I wanted to go back into. And what I love about Critio is, um, as you and I were, uh, as I was saying earlier, it's, you know, it's a young company, enthusiastic, wanting to make sure that they add value to the entire uh, ecosystem through what we do in ad tech. Uh, and the assets of Critio is, are outstanding. Um, they're, you know, they are best of breed, which is a fantastic toolbox to play with. Uh, and um, I, I, I love the challenge. I love being a CEO in that environment um, and just getting my hands dirty and uh, turning the company around. So uh, I think many know what Critio does, but just briefly, you know, you're, you're known for doing a lot of remarketing and retargeting uh, with dynamic, dynamic ad capabilities. Um, and pretty much, you know, a lot of the business was founded on, on the use of cookies. And as you mentioned, you, you, you know, started in November and then the announcement at the end of November. So really a month into um, uh, being at Critio, the announcement of Google came out uh, regarding privacy sandbox and the deprecation of cookies. And then you also have the browsers like Apple and um, with Safari uh, taking away cross-site tracking. Um, now with the recent news of IDFA uh, also being uh, uh, masked and so forth. Uh, what, what's your what's your opinion about uh, about the, the landscape and, and the future of uh, remarketing and retargeting and the use of dynamic ads? Which that's a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a big question. <laughs> well, let me start by saying that, um, you know, anything that um, uh, puts privacy first and puts control in the hands of the consumer is the right thing. So anything, anything that's going on that does that is the right thing. Um, the thing that we have to watch out for when we do that is doing it at the right pace and doing it properly so that we can support and continue to support and protect the ecosystem. And the ecosystem really relies on uh, using digital, the power of digital to get the right message to the right person at the right time on the right device. It's, it's a kind of an old fashioned saying now, but you know, the crux of it all is that's what it is. And, um, and that's what gives marketers the best return on investment for their investment on digital is, uh, is again, getting to the right person at the right time, the right device in the right format, whether that be broad, uh, a broad reach or whether that be specifically targeted. And let's face it, the marketers pay for the service. <laughs> they pay for the internet. They have, while they have to make sure that they look after the consumer, they also pay for the internet. So if we don't give them the ability to do that or continue to do that in some way, shape or form, then we start to break down the fabric 
of what makes the internet so fantastic on and off the walled gardens. So for us, when we see restrictions come across um, Chrome, for instance, um, we get it. You know, we get, we understand why Google needs to do what it's doing uh, in terms of uh, prote protecting themselves and consumers uh, uh, around uh, the the privacy um, uh, that uh, privacy exposure that could exist within the Chrome environment, particularly around third-party cookies. And what we're doing here is um, is we're working with um, uh, Google, not against them, but working with them. Uh, in terms of looking at their solution to this, which is called Turtle Dove, um, most people will be aware of that in what they call a sandbox environment, and we're proposing uh, some alternate ways or enhanced ways to address the issues that they have, but at the same time continue to protect the ecosystem. For instance. Um, the notion of, uh, can I go on to Spar Sparrow? Is that okay? It's a good segue. You asked the long yeah, question. I, I think that, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that, that brings, in the, brings into the question around Sparrow. So yeah. um, I, I know that Critio has been pretty, you know, uh, working uh, ferociously on putting together proposals, uh, one of them specifically being Sparrow, uh, to, uh, to address retargeting and remarketing. Um, and so, you know, if you want to, uh, if you can talk about the, the rationale of why Sparrow was created, uh, what are you trying to solve with it, and, and, and just the essence of what, what, what type of feature or functionality are you you're looking uh, for Sparrow to, uh, to solve? Yeah. Um, so my, uh, my disclaimer on all of this is, um, as I said before, my tech is rusty, but it's, uh, I know enough to be dangerous. So. I'm going to go to a level and then, you know, you call the tech team for the next level. But let me give it a go. I'll give it a crack. So what Sparrow is, is um, it's short for or uh, it's long for um, security, private advertising remotely run on web server. I like Sparrow better than that, but that's pretty much what it is. And it is what it is. So firstly, it's... Um, as I said before, it's providing input to TurtleDove to make sure or see if there is a way that um, that Chrome can respond, that it protects uh, the ecosystem. Um, and uh, it starts with making sure that we protect the consumer. Again, I go back to that. I keep going back to that as the absolute key here. And what we believe is that the consumer should be in control of their own data, not the browser. And we believe that the portability of their data should be something that the consumer controls and not the browser. So that's at the heart of it. And so as we think about how to do that, um, the first thing is to move the sort of the logic or the decisioning um, off the browser and move it to a third party independent provider who can do it um, again independently, who knows how to do uh, bidding, who can uh, uh, be or act as an SSP sitting in the middle. We call that the gatekeeper. So the notion is to move it off the browser and put it in the hands of a gatekeeper in terms of the bidding. Um, what this really does is a few things which are key, which are we think shortfalls to Turtle Dove uh, at the moment. One is it provides more real time in terms of that decisioning, that ad being placed 
and uh, reporting coming back or measurement coming back instead of it being a day later, it comes back on the fly because marketers want to change their ad campaigns on the fly. It's based on machine learning and not just the decisioning uh, tech that sits inside of the browser. It takes the load or a, a, um, a, um, a load that would otherwise sit on the device in terms of how to process that data. It doesn't expose any data um, in the entire process. And it supports some of the most fundamental measurement capabilities. And you're, you know, you're in the measurement game as well. But being able to provide frequency capping, for instance, uh, is absolutely key. And so we want to make sure that all of these things that are there today continue to be as much as possible by not defying Chrome, but working with Turtle Dove to see whether or not there are ways that we can help or suggest other means in which the ecosystem would go um, as unscathed as, as possible. Well, that, that's it in a nutshell. Now, now you service a lot of uh, lot of large advertisers. Uh, I know, you know, when I was on the agency side, many of our brands, especially in the retail end, uh, uh, was running on Critio, um, as well as some other of your competitors. How how important is remarketing and retargeting to to brands? Uh, what do do you have a sense of what percentage of the budget that you typically had of the of, of the digital pie? Oh, well, firstly. Um, retargeting is is critical to brands, um, and uh, and we do a lot of it. <laughs> um, it's um, it's sort of the next step down. If you think of targeting, then you know if you want to go beyond that to a person, and you want to make sure that your message gets through, is um, is where you go from targeting to retargeting, and so it's part of the decision set for a marketer's. Um, uh, objectives in terms of the advertising campaigns. Um, it's hard to it's hard to say where it sits in terms of the percentage of marketing spend. There's probably data out there that uh, I don't have access to. What I will say is that marketers tend to change their strategies um, depending on what the product is or what um, you know. COVID, for instance, is a great example where marketers will change their strategy. So. Money moves around between the bottom, the middle, and the top of the funnel, and we experience that all the time. But um, it's it's not the the, ne the necessity for it is not going away. What I think, and this is probably a, a bold statement, um, but what I think is that in terms of targeting and retargeting, we all who are in that business have to do a better job of it. Um, you know that age-old, <laughs> that age-old uh, notion that the shoes that you looked at last year and didn't want, or that you've already bought, are still chasing you around the internet, is something that has probably has sparked up a lot of you know alarm bells in terms of privacy and consumer um, concern, and so we have to get better at it. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not critically important to a marketer. And it doesn't mean that uh, it's going away. We have to find ways to continue to provide to the marketer what they want in terms of their advertising campaigns that ultimately pay for the internet and bring consumers to um, uh, to uh, different publishers. But do you see Critio's business model shifting a little bit uh, due to some of these proposals and uh, changes that the browsers are making? Um, because they're they're making it a lot more difficult to measure 
right? As you mentioned, uh, the real-time data, I, I think, is a really big issue. Um, not only does it, you know, uh, affect the ability to optimize, uh, but reconciling, uh, as you said, managing reach and frequency, those are, those are core to a lot of uh, the day-to-day uh, interactions between the consumer and the advertiser. Uh, I mean, consumer, I mean, the advertiser and the publisher. Um, so, so what, what's your plan if, if, um, if we continue down this path? Yeah, well, firstly, we, um, we, we don't do measurement and we rely on uh, the best of breed to do that for us. And, uh, and we've been lucky, uh, or I've been lucky to secure a continued strong relationship with Nielsen, of course. And, uh, and so we just announced that Nielsen would come onto our service to provide digital ad ratings. So, for instance, um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll support measurement because it's so essential to what we do. Um, for Critio, um, of course, we'll expand the portfolio. Like we can't, none of us can be held hostage to uh, to a service that we provide today that's uh, that's uh, that's under threat. Now, when I say under threat, it is. However, we can't just sit there. We have to solve for that, and Sparrow is one of the ways in which we're solving for it as is the other data sets that we have inside of our business that are incredible, incredibly powerful at getting to the individual. So in combining our first party data with what we call our shopper graph data, which has, um, uh, which has um, uh, deterministic data in there, hash emails, all sorts of things that we can find hooks to be able to follow or follow, make sure that we do cross uh, domain referencing um, is is work that we're doing right now. We've been uh, pretty vocal about that work. Having solved that and solving for that, we know that as a company, we need to, we need to um, continue to expand. And so the notion of going full funnel DSP, moving into audience-based, uh, moving up into the top of the funnel, um, providing services to agencies, and then working on what we call our retail media business, which is servicing retail and servicing brands and making sure that sponsored ads and ads um, are getting uh, both uh, on-site, appearing inside of retailer retailer sites, but also off-site as well. So there's this portfolio of um, products and capabilities that sit on top of what has always been this immense piece of data and technology that I've come on board to, to build out. So are you, I, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of publishers out there that uh, still have, um, have not had the opportunity to really build out their own first party data and have typically relied on DMPs and, and third party data. Um, are you, what, what, what kinds of things are you helping them to, you know, are, are, uh, what, what are things that you're helping them on um, are you helping them with that, with trying to build that, or um, are you kind of, as you mentioned, your first party data is that supplementing their uh, their data? Um, and what and, and what advice would you have for publishers if they're not if they're currently not doing that right now? Yeah, it, that, that's a good question, and uh, it's a tricky one for publishers. Of course, on the on the buy side, on the marketer's side, they generally have um, access to all sorts of first-party data, very solid first-party data. But traditionally on the publisher side, that's been um, 
harder to get. Uh, and of course, the walled gardens have access to a stack of it, as do those that are subscription-based services. But for um, for everybody else, you know, for if you think about classified, think about retailers. Um, if you think about uh, publications that are subscription-based, all of these things have access and ways to get hold of first-party data. It's um, it's a change in their business models sometimes, um, and it's the way in which they uh, that they service or treat their consumer when the consumer comes. It it just it has to happen, but it takes time for them to build up enough first-party data. For us, um, the way in which we help them is that we we sh we show it's a um, it's, we show the, the importance of first-party data when it comes to having a relationship between the buyer and the seller. And so where we match the buyer and the seller, um, we, uh, we expand on, I guess, their, um, their need to, to put the processes in place or the tools in place to be able to gather their own first-party data. Um, we can help as much as we possibly can, but we do believe that, um, again, that uh, this is um, something that should be in the domain of the publisher, that um, that the consumer should have the choice as to when they sign up to pass across data and when they don't. And uh, it's, it's just going to take time to get everybody to a place where they build trust from the consumer uh, and they can collect that data themselves. I think one of the challenges I think uh, that, that publishers have, especially those that are on the long tail, and is yeah. that, that they don't have the resources or um, or the staff, be it funding and so forth, to really try and tackle this on themselves. And so I, I think uh, video subscription sites um, or pu publishers are in a much better place. Everyone, you know, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, all the streaming services, they've really built a large audience pool. Then you have the walled gardens. A lot of the newspapers have, have some sort of subscription model. Retailers have their own data. Um, what do you see for, for those long tail publishers then? If, if, if they, they can't invest you know, dollars into building their first party, is, it, is, is, is their model going to still continue to be more direct buys? or contextual targeting. I think that's been something that's been kind of thrown in the air that contextual targeting is coming back. And so it, you know, it might replace remarketing and, and addressable targeting because that's what will be kind of the low hanging fruit. Yeah, I think that's right. All of those things are right, is that um, they have to use what they've got. Um, and contextual is very strong. Um, it's been, it's served them for uh, a while. I think it'll continue to do that. Um, and uh, you know, be between that, I I I think, I mean, they've never had first-party data before, for the most part, and third-party data has been incredibly helpful. But everybody's in the same boat. Is uh, you know the ac the accuracy of um, of cohorts or of audience-based is um, it's not you know it's not one to one. And how do we get one to one? Uh, going forward, uh, it is through um, uh, pulling together the first-party data sets, and then working, as I said before, with Chrome and with others to find a way to treat um, personal data uh, in a way that um, 
consumers get comfortable with the way that it's with the way that it's used. Um, so I, I I don't see a change there. So we only have a few more minutes left. Um, want to ask you a COVID related question. Um, and that's been, what has been the impact to advertisers and retailers that you've seen through uh, the services that you provide? Well, and what are some of the suggestions, uh, tips, and, and best practices that you've seen uh, brands kind of deploy, uh, helping them at, um, in this time of need? Yeah, so some of the things we've seen, um, what we call um, mid-market, so, um, you know, not large uh, clients, but those that uh, that that sit in the center, and particularly retailers in that space uh, are doing really well, and there's a big opportunity for them. So, um, some of the stats uh, that I've seen are that, um, for instance, 81% of the um, commerce uh, users have tried another retailer during COVID-19. And the reason for that is because you 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 get what you can get. <laughs> How many times have you tried to go to a big brand and you can't get it? It can't be delivered. They've run out. So you get what you can get. And so this has been really powerful for retailers that are not you know that are not big brands or brands that are uh, that have that struggle to to be seen or brands that are very local. So we just see this sort of um, amazing. Um, uh, change or reaction to this sort of uh, uh, world that we're in uh, across um, across commerce users. The other thing that we see is, um, is um, that the trade spend um, during this time has moved to digital. Well, no, I won't say all of it. <laughs> Some of it, it's increased by about 23% has moved to digital. Um, and here's, here's why, and here's why this is important, um, is because um, the trade spenders typically spend on email uh, or brochures or you know, cardboard cutouts at the end of shopping aisles. And COVID has stopped a lot of that from happening or being effective at all. And so trade spend uh, for marketers has moved across into media spend and so much of it has gone to digital. So this is, this is huge for uh, for a digital um, for the for the entire industry, but for publishers in particular, now they have a much bigger slice of the pie. Um, the um, the other thing that I think has become a real opportunity uh, and it's growing is being uh, the sort of the sort of exposure of time spent uh, off the walled gardens versus time spent on the walled gardens. And the discrepancy between that and ad spend. Um, so time spent uh, off the walled gardens has gone up to sixty-six <laughs> percent. That's the open wow. internet gone up to sixty-six percent, and on walled gardens uh, has gone to is at thirty-four uh, percent. And yet the ad spend off the walled gardens is only at thirty-six percent of the ad spend, and walled gardens is sixty-four percent. So there's this mismatch here, of which I think is a tremendous opportunity for the open internet to jump in there and show that they have reach, um, but they also, most importantly, have attention. Um, and uh, and that's another way that they can, um, that uh, publishers can sell, even in a in an environment where it's difficult, as you said before, to get hold of data. So all of these things, you know, we're seeing as being um, 
really large shifts in consumer behavior, behavior leading to opportunities for marketers and leading to opportunities for, um, for publishers as well. So, you know, in amongst all of the horror, there is uh, a bright spot for, um, for the industry. Great. Um, well, I really appreciate you taking the time today to meet with us and, and join us here at IAB there. I'd love to have you as, as, uh, as a guest to uh, uh, a future uh, show. So uh, I look forward to uh, reaching out to you. And uh, if, if anyone, uh, I apologize that we didn't get to any questions, but uh, if you do, um, you can still post them at uh, hashtag IAB there on Twitter. And we'll go ahead and take a look at those questions and try to respond back to each of them. So uh, really, thank you again, Megan. Um, and it's I look pleasure. forward to seeing you soon. It's a real pleasure. Great. See you later. Great. Thank you. So um, so hold on. I need, actually, my apologies, but I do need my reading glasses because I am getting <laughs> old and I need to learn how to <laughs> I can't read anymore. Um, but on tomorrow's IAB there, we are excited to welcome Ryan Gill, uh, CEO of Communo, where, uh, where we'll look at how the sharing economy's impact on the ad world. IAB There is a production of the Internet Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ants, John Ward, Tofika Mohinadin. I'm Angelina Eng. Thanks for watching. Come back tomorrow because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern time on a weekday, you know it's time to IAB There. Thank you all and have a great day.